So here we go. There are really four ships that, as a New Testament believer, born-again Christians, there's really only four. The first one we refer to as fellowship. This is where we are exploring God. It's like going to a mall and going to a store and your hands are in your pocket. I'm not buying anything. I'm only here because she's here. That's the way it is. There's a lot of people that will come to this church. They're not really looking for anything, but they're to find a sense of fellowship. They're, they're, they're exploring God. They're just trying to figure out what this church is about. So somebody says, what kind of church is it? It's a good one. That's all I can tell you. Number two is that the next ship is what we refer to as relationship. It's encountering God. We meet God. We, we sense God. And I will tell you, being raised in the Assembly of God Church or Pentecostal background, that, that I found that, that God is not necessarily in that box. All right? I found God outside all the boxes I ever constructed. I found God on the backside of a Belize one time. The Holy Spirit spoke to me on a ship. So the Holy Spirit can speak to you in any place. He's not restricted by times or space. So the third one is what we refer to as discipleship, and that's where we begin to experience God. When we begin, it's called discipline ourselves. Discipleship is not for sissies. So there's a lot of people that will come into church and, and, and they love the fellowship. Oh, I like to sing and I like the music. I especially like potluck. I understand that. And then number two, there's relationship. Well, I made a new friend. I, I know her name and I know his name and his name is Mike and his name is Bill and I'm going to stay away from Brad. And I don't blame you for that. That's kind of experience you got. So you say, so you say well, how is, how is this discipleship experience of God? Because once you begin to begin to hone in and, and obey his principles, then you begin to experience God. Watch this. God is not really in relationship outside of his word. So you can come in here and you can explore God and you can have fellowship. You can come in here and you can encounter God. You can have relationships. But when you really begin to do what he says, you begin to experience God. Discipleship. It's called discipline. Oh, it's a nasty six or seven or eight letter word, discipline. So as we begin to become disciples on this ship, but the last one we're referred to is lordship. Now, I want to, I want to, this is where a lot of you will get up and walk out. But the doors are locked, so you can't. <laughs> it's embracing God. And the word embracing in the Greek language means, watch this, I'm going to hang on for dear life. Embracing in the English language, I'd go over and give Brad a hug, but I'm not. But there's a different So when you see the word embracing God, it's, it's just embracing God like everything's fine. We're, it's all lovey-dovey. All the bills are paid. We're all getting along. There, it's, it's, you know, it's still the love boat, not the Titanic. It's all these things. But before long, you figure out that lordship is more than just fluff and fur. Because when you begin to say, raise your hand and say, I will follow Jesus as a disciple, you really and truly never knew hell existed. <laughs> until you raise your hand and say, I've been to church, I hung around church, I like the potlucks, I can tell by looking at you, I made a few friends, and that's all fine, until you raise your hand and say, I'd like to, I'd like to do something in the church. Brother, I want you to know hell's ears just perked up. And as you begin to commit towards discipleship, as we've been learning the storms, the disciples was in the boat, they would have never, ever... in encountered a storm unless they committed to be disciples. 
And then the next step is lordship. It means embracing God. It means hanging on for dear life. Now watch this. If, if any preacher anywhere has told you that when you get born again and saved, it's all blessings and prosperity, it's fun, and it's fantastic, they've lied to you straight up. They lied. They lied. Because somewhere in your Christian walk, you're going to have to get past the, the fun and the fluff, and you're going to have to embrace God, or you're going to have to hang on to dear life. And some of you are like that today, including myself. Through the years, I've just had to hang on. And when I didn't have the strength to hang on to Don Dixon, guess what? He hung on to me. And so we're going to get into the Lordship. So this Lordship business is a funny thing. So I'm not going to keep you long. I've been on vacation, so I'm going to let you go in about 10 minutes or so, and then we'll deal with it. But this lordship business is, is very important because, watch this, I'll explain to you either probably next week because there's, there's, there's only two nouns. Watch this. And this is going to hurt you in a democratic society of being religious. But number one, the, the word lordship is, means, we'll talk about this, is curious. It means one in complete control. And number two, and the other one is a slave. There's only one Lord, and the rest of them are slaves. Now, that hurts your feelings. I know it does. So let's begin this morning. Make no mistake that whatever ship that you may be in this morning, your enemy wants you to abandon ship. Now, on this, on this ship that we go on, they have a little exercise, and the captain says something. I don't understand him. But he, he says, this is for crew alert, crew alert. And he goes, abandon ship. Well, the first time I heard that, I didn't know what they were doing. So the first thing I did is what any godly husband would do. I, I began to take Gail and want to throw her overboard. Say, here, honey, we got to go. No matter, if it, no matter if you're just in fellowship, if your relationship, in your discipleship and lordship, no matter what ship you're in this morning, your enemy is trying to get you to jump ship. He is. If, you're barely, if this is your first time here, I'm telling you, your enemy tried to get you not to come. And then in 12 or 13 or an hour, you'll figure out why. He'll tell you to jump ship because things are not going the way you planned it. You wrote out a wish list to God and it didn't come to pass. And your enemy said, why don't you just quit? Why don't you just give up? Demons will talk to you. Did you know demons will talk to you? I'm not talking about that person sitting beside you. I'm talking demons will talk to you. Going down the road 70 miles an hour, you, you just got fired. Things are not going good. Your, your wife said, I want a divorce. Your husband said, I'm going to stay married to you. And the demon says, why don't you just run into that bridge at 80 miles an hour? Why don't you just get it over with? Nobody cares if you live or die. You know the great thing about the temptation of Jesus out there for 40 days? He was only three miles from town. He was from here to Walmart. For 40 days. And this is what the enemy said. Can you imagine the Son of God? And, and he's called and invited these men to follow him. And he's only from here to Walmart. And maybe a little further. Maybe from here in Dornick Hills. And the enemy looked around and said, You've been out there for 40 days. Where is your friends? He didn't, he didn't make up anything. Your enemy don't have to make up stuff to use against you. Well, I thought they were friends. When's the last time the pastor invited you over for lunch? Never. See there? He doesn't care. <laughs> Am I lying to you? You'll get to a place where your enemy will take you to places and he'll speak to you and say, look at that, nobody cares, nobody calls about you, nobody sent you a letter, and for goodness sake, he never invited you on a cruise ship with him. And the enemy says, where, where is everybody? 
They were not there. So the idea of this, whatever ship you're in, listen, whatever ship you're in, your enemy wants you to jump ship. So embracing God. Embracing God is basically, is, is, I'm, I'm going to teach you. I, somebody asked me, this is really a school. I'm really, I'm really, I'm not a preacher. I'm kind of a teacher. I'm, so you're in class, all right? And no, you cannot go to the bathroom. So um, it's, it's developing a quiet time. Matter of fact, the funny part about it is Exodus 25 and 22, we're not going to show it, but, but, but God said, told Moses, he said, come up to the mountain. And he says, I want to meet you, and I want to talk with you. You know, there's a great big difference for those that are in, 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 in a lot of circles. He said, I want to meet you, and I want to talk with you. There's a huge difference between talking with God and talking to God. Some of you have not learned that. Some of you think that prayer time is just is a one-way conversation. It's, it's us. It's, it's called griping. Mm-hmm. Griping. And he tells Moses, he said, I want to meet you, but I want to talk to you. Develop in a quiet time. Now, when, when you learn to do this, it's very important because there's two myths concerning a quiet time before we get. Number one, one myth is this. It must be between the hours of 3 a.m. and 5 a.m. My God, man, I'm not coherent at 3 o'clock in the morning. And number two, the second myth is it must be an hour long. So someone said, oh, yeah, I, I got up at 3 a.m. and I, I, I prayed all night and I prayed for the nations for three hours. Don't you just want to punch them in the face when they say things like that? And anytime somebody can pray for three or four hours, and if you can, fine. If you can study, fine. But it's just only two things that's involved. Number one, either you're unemployed or you have no children. You can have a quiet time going down the road. You can have a quiet time anywhere with God. And so here's the answer. God, I, I really, my words are not that important. And I really, you, you've heard me and I don't have much to say. I'd like to, I'd like to meet with you and I'd like for you to speak to me. Yeah. Guess, watch this. This is for all the people that graduated from South of Wilson. <laughs> Guess what a quiet time is. Has anybody, we have a daycare here. It's called the quiet game. Anybody played that? Some of you do while I preach and you go to sleep. Don't do that. A quiet game is, is one of you needs to be quiet. And so the word prayer, for you that knew in the, in the church, prayer is prosuke, pros is in front of, and suke is face. That's what it means, prosuke. And so the face gives you the perfect prayer system. Two ears, one mouth. You should do twice as much listening as you do talking. Prayer, prosuke. So he, he tells Moses, he said, I'd like to meet with you. Moses said, hot dog, I got a lot of things to tell you. He said, oh, by the way, I just need you to keep quiet. And I want to talk to you. Talking to God really never said it. You can go to a counselor and just spill your guts. I encourage you to do that. I, don't do it to me because I don't really care. But there are people that are paid to, to go do that. But when, you, when you're hungry for God and hungry for the, the righteousness of God, you'll find out the truth is this. Don't come to a church or a place of worship and just constantly spouting off things. Find you a quiet place. Let God speak to you. And this is really how I learned to teach biblical principles from about 1983 to 88 behind the steering wheel of a truck. But I had a lot of time to be quiet. No one was talking to me, and I just gave God every opportunity 
just to speak to me. So as we begin to learn quiet times in this lordship business, this is what I want you to understand this morning. This lordship business, God is trying to speak something to you. He's trying to tell you something. And once you understand this concept this morning, you'll understand why I've been the way I have for 30 years. It's because I understand there's only one Lord and the rest of us are all slaves. We're not BFF with God. In the true biblical language, and that hurts and that won't sell books, this message will not sell books, I'll assure you, but it will promote the gospel, the true kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1. In the King James, it says, Let a man account of us, talking about the Apostle Paul and those that are still following Christ's disciples, there were still many, as the ministers of Christ and the stewards of the mysteries of God. We're going to deal with the stewards next week, but we're going to talk about the ministers of God. So what does it mean to be called the ministers of God? Okay? Now watch this. Don't confuse this language. Religious peoples are geniuses at this. He doesn't say, what does it mean to be, be called a minister for God? Because when you put it in that sense, you're, you're back to works and performance. This has nothing to do with works and performance. This has everything to do with position. So what does it mean to be called a minister of God? So names and titles are very, very important. I want to show this, though. The true level of our commitment to God is never tested by good times, but it's always in conflicts and struggles. During these times, it will reveal the truth concerning our submission to God as Lord, not BFF. Okay. So, if, if you allow me this morning just to talk to you, Lordship is, is, the, is the greatest lesson that you will ever learn long when I'm gone. Lord, not friend, not, not, not companion, not all these things and praises and provider and Jehovah Elohim and Jehovah Jireh, the Lord our provider, or on the mount, the Lord, he provides all these things. He's Lord. Jesus is Lord. Have you ever said that? Yeah, well, the rest of you are going to hell. Have anybody ever said that? Jesus is Lord. So let's say this together. Jesus is Lord. What does that mean? I know he I, I know means Lord, but what does that mean? Okay. So if Jesus is Lord, he's telling you that, that by definition, let me show you something. The reason why this is so important, I'm going to explain to you what Lord is. Remember in the like, names and titles, it's important, to understand, it's important to understand the definition of a word. So this is what I do is I take words and break them apart and I give them to you. So remember in Judas Iscariot that he was the only one that went to rabbinical school. He, he was the only guy that, that grew up around his other buddies, and you, you've heard me talk about this, that what he did about the silver and all this, he, he was trained to do that. He was trained to, to bring back an offering, and so anyway, he made a mistake. He went back to do what he was trained to do, and, and they turned his nose on him. Um, Mark chapter 14, verses 44 and 45 says this. And he that betrayed him, Jesus, had given them a token, saying, Whosoever that I shall kiss, and that same as he, take him and lead him away safely. Verse 45, watch this. And as soon as he was come, Jesus, he goes straight away to him, and he says, Master, Master, and he kissed him. Now don't, don't, this is King James. 
Rabbi is a word for master, where we get a word for rabbi. Okay, so there are four basically words for teacher. So he's basically calling Jesus teacher. That's why you've heard a lot of people years ago call me Rabboni. The only difference between a rabbi and a Rabboni is a rabbi was somebody that you went to see at school that taught you, and a Rabboni was the same guy that went home with you to teach you. So that's why they call me Rabboni Haboni, because I would go to where you live and I would talk to you. Even though you wouldn't come here, I'd go to you. I would give you the same information. So he says, Rabbi or Rabbi or Rabbi, Rabbi, teacher, teacher. And by definition, this is what it means in a rabbi. It means that, that one who can give me the answers that would make me look smart and elevated and I can carry the money back around. That's what he's, he called him, referred to him. So you say, well, what does that mean? It means a lot. It's, it's kind of important for you to understand that. So now Jesus says in John 13, 13, he says this. Can we show that? John 13, 13. So he said, told the disciples, so you call me master and Lord, and you said it well, for I am so. He said, for you, talking these, you call me master and Lord, and you got it right. So, so here we go. So what's the big deal? Okay, here we go. Titles are very important, and I'm going to say this not even looking at you, but there's a difference between saying my dad and my old man. Has anybody here called their dad, my old man, in front of his face? <laughs> and lived. Has anybody called their mother instead of mom, old lady, on old lady's day? Brad, it ain't that funny. Don't write that down. Is making a, a, a definition and title important? Yes. Your boss you work for. Instead of saying your boss, you have other four and five syllable words. The President of the United States, Mr. President. You understand that? Did you know there's nowhere recorded in the scripture that the disciples ever called Jesus Jesus? Look it up. You got plenty of time. Everybody else called him Jesus. Jesus, they called him Jesus, but the disciples that was around him that they learned something that he was more than just a natural name. They either called him rabbi, teacher, curios, they called him something, but they never called him by his name Jesus. Never. Because they respected his authority. Because they saw him do things that no other man could do. It's true. So I know some people and some preachers want you to call them doctor and all. Ah, get rain on that. But there's a sense of respect. Especially when you're dealing with men that handle the gospel. So if you don't know what to call me, just call me pastor. Call me reverend. Now some of you, I told you, some of you don't call me, just call me the guy that lives with your wife because I don't claim you. But, but the word kurios means Lord. Kurios. And by definition, so here we go. By definition, the word kurios means supreme authority. Complete controller. When we call him teacher and Lord, wouldn't it have been funny? Why did Judas Iscariot call him rabbi and teacher instead of calling him Lord? Because if he called him Lord, he would have had to submit and repent. 
So here we go. We come in here and we live like hell all, all of our lives and come in the door and we have fellowship and fun and potluck and blah, 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 and blah, 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 blah. Oh, God is good. And we call Jesus. Oh, we want you to bless the provider and teacher. I need to learn more scriptures. I need to know this. No, you don't. You need the first. Here's the first thing you need to know is this. Jesus is Lord. He is in complete authority of my life. And when I submit to that, then I become a slave to him. Because there's only one Lord, and the rest of us are slaves. Now, I know that church your feelings. I, I, know, I know what the Apostle Paul says, that we're heirs with Christ and joiners with Christ. But I'll tell you what, if that's the truth, if we're joiners with Christ and heirs with God, joiners with Christ, then we need to suffer as Christ suffered. And he brings that in the fact. He said, you can't have all the good stuff with all the bad stuff that Christ suffered. <clears throat> so, getting it right is very important. So by definition, that I wrote, Jesus never used the term Lord as teacher because he never knew how to surrender and submit to Christ's complete authority. Lordship. So when we get to the point in one of these ships business that we get to the point we say this, that God, you are, you are, the, you are Lord of my life and I'm a slave and I'm a servant to you, however you want to say it. So it's very, it's the reason why I, I, I took you down this road because I want to explain to you what a minister is. Is anybody ever here? No, don't raise, no, no, don't, don't, don't raise your hand. I am a minister. But I want to give you some definitions of the word minister. So Corinthians chapter 4 says this, that he says that, that so let us account, or logis zohami, let it be on the record. The word account is where we get it for an accountant, and it's called logis zohami, and it means to strike the record. It means to keep books. And he said, let men keep books about us that we are ministers of Christ. Let it be written that we are ministers of Christ. Has anybody said to themselves that I'm a minister of Christ? And you get it confused, I'm a minister for Christ because there's only evangelism and service in the church. So, but you can't substitute a soup kitchen line for, for submitting your life to Jesus. I know this is sometimes over your head, but I'll tell you, some people that are not submitting to God, they, they substitute that through soup kitchens. And soup kitchens is a great thing, but there's no substitute of allowing God to be Lord of your life. All right. So what happens is the word minister is used basically two ways. The first one is, is where we get a word for diakonios or diakonos. It means to basically, the true word is found in Luke chapter 8, verse 3 and 8. It, it means to serve food or wait tables. All right. So when we use the word as a minister, that sometimes in the clergy, I understand what they're saying. But it's like saying I went by the car. What kind of car? Well, it doesn't matter. Well, sure it matters. Did it have a, was it automatic? Did it have a four-speed? Did it have an air conditioner? Things like that matter. So to say the word minister, you just can't say the word minister. I'm a minister of God. Well, so in, in, in most laity terms, we use someone who does something for God. We either teach a class, we wait tables, we, 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 we do the potluck, we... We go evangelize. We, we do certain things, and, and we say that's a minister. And, and that's a good word, but that's not the word the Apostle Paul used in 2 Corinthians 4 and 1. He said, when men sees us and watch us, watch this, when men sees us and watch us, let them account us as ministers of God. It's not that we can get on television. It's not that we can do something in church and have the KXII come out and take a picture of me and Gala passing out litter boxes to all the people that own cats. It's not that at all. 
And, 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 and I, I'm not making fun of people do that, but, but that's not the word of the Apostle Paul. He said, this, this, this is, this is a, a grown-up man speaking grown-up principles to a grown-up church. And he said, we're not talking about people that are handing out Twinkies and cupcakes and, and getting pats on the back. That's not what a minister is. He said, when people see us, let them write it down. These people are the real deal. All right? So the word minister is where we get a word for huperetus. Huperetus. Two words in the Greek. Hooper is under, and areso means rower. Under rowers in a ship. Okay. So some of you know this, and some of you probably don't. You might. The Apostle Paul said this, when men look at us and see us, Embracing God, it means that we're hanging on for dear life. Everything has gone wrong. So Hooperettus was a word called under rowers. And it's huge ships. And what, so here's the story. So Rome, which is Curios, which is the Lord, I mean Lord of, of Rome, complete authority. Hooperettus was for the lowest class of criminals. The lowest. I mean so low that they raised kittens for a living. I mean they were low. And instead of Rome executing them and putting them to death, they used them. They put them in a ship. And they put them in the bottom of a ship. And they chained them one to another. And they were the manpower to move these massive ships through the sea from one spot to the next. They didn't have inboard motors. Sails wasn't big enough for Rome's ships, so they would put hundreds of men in the bottom of the ship, and that's where you see little portholes of oars sticking out. And that guy would go, I don't know what he would say. He would just say, row, row, row this boat. That's not exactly what he would say, probably. <laughs> I don't know what he would say. But you've seen pictures of these Viking movies they, that... And here, here's, this is the word minister that he uses. I don't have time to play games with y'all. I mean, this is real life. And the Apostle Paul said, let it be recorded. When men see us, it's not that we're on television. It's not that we're famous. It's not anything. When men see us, let it be recorded in their minds that we are the lowest class of criminals as far as they're concerned. And we've been received a sentence of death. And we've been stuck in the bottom of a boat. No shuffleboard, no all-you-can-eat buffet bar on top, no lemonade, no ice cream machine, no nothing. Nobody knows we're here. Nobody sees us. Nobody cares if we live or die. We're stuck in the bottom of this boat until we die. That's it. And when the Apostle Paul said, when people see our lives, let it be accounted. Let it strike it in the ledgers of their mind that we are men and women of God, that we have been sentenced, a sentence, to serve Him as slaves until we die. Boy, that hurts your feelings. I know it does. I know it does. When you understand the principle that it's all not thrills and frills, it's hard work and slavery, but I received a sentence a long time ago and it's a sentence that I will, I will be chained and shackled as a slave and a servant to God the rest of my life. And this is the deal. Ministry 
It's not about being seen. It's not about being popular. It's not being, it's not being elevated. True ministers, the Apostle Paul is talking about, is down the boat with the unwanted, the unloved, and the unlovely. And nobody knows and nobody cares if you live or die, but God does. Somebody you invited, somebody here invited you to church. And one of the great things about this, if you know, if you know this, that, that they were, Rome would chain them together. They couldn't get out. They're in the bottom of a boat. They couldn't get out. So why were they chained together? Because if they ever did something stupid, they would jump ship because they were so tired of living this life of, in the bottom of a boat. And that's why the Apostle Paul deals with it, that we have been connected or chained together because this is the deal. I need you. I need for us to stay connected. You are wanted and you're needed and you're very important to my life. And I will tell you, if we, we, if we can just stay put as ministers of God and somebody can say, you know, I don't, I don't know how you live for God. You just buried your wife a few weeks ago. But Brother Neil, I'll tell you, God has got you connected to him you're embraced to God and what I mean by that is this God has got you even when you just let go God would not let go so one of the greatest things that Biggie said of us is to be called ministers of God under roars even when no one's looking and no one cares God sees I got news for you. I'm going to live this way the rest of my life because you know what? He is Lord. And I'm his servant. And the true translation is it's not servant. It's doulos. It's slave. Nowhere in the Greek language is the word servant used. It's slave. I'm his slave. And so in doing so, the last ship that I've learned to get into is this is that, Lord, I may not understand where I'm going, but I'll follow you. I'll stay with you. I'll serve you. I will live this life, and I'm just so glad that in the bottom of the boat, I have some other people with me that we can be connected to. So let that be said of us. Servants of God, Jesus is Lord of our life. So the question this morning, we, we're going to leave, but today, you... Is he master or is he Lord? You don't have to answer that. Is he going to be master like Judas? I, I need some answers. I need a miracle. I need a fix. I need a quickie of something. Or is he Lord? Now that's a question you need to ask yourself when you're by yourself going down the road. And I will tell you there's a great miracle in this something magical happens is when you finally get to this place and you say, God, there's two things for sure. There is a God and I'm not Him. I want to be called and known as a servant or a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to serve you the rest of my life. No thrills, no frills, no publicity, no nothing. I just want to stay the course in the bottom of the boat and make sure that we get this ship from point A to point B because little do I realize there's somebody across the the path that may need to hear about Jesus. Your labors are not in vain. You may think nobody cares. We care. 
You may think sitting on the back row that nobody notices you. Oh, we notice. You're very important to us. So here we are. Jesus is Lord. Lordship. Father, this morning, with all of our heart, that sometimes it takes years for us to truly understand the Lordship of Christ. We go through phases and we go through things of, of friendship and fellowship, enthusiastic things, and till we come to the place that that really doesn't satisfy us on the inside. We never become born again until we got to a place where we humbled ourselves and we confessed Jesus as Lord of our life. But have we continued to follow suit with that Lordship from that moment forward? Father, to this day, I still remember the feeling it was, it was like to get on bended knees with bitter tears running down my face and confess that Jesus is Lord. And in a small church in this town in 1980, that something wonderful happened to me. The demons left my body. The claw left my mind. The anger and the hate and the rage and all that stuff left when I simply went on my knees and submitted and not saying that I need an, another Bible study. I need Jesus to be Lord of my life. Something happened. And at that moment, that, that, Father, you came into my life and my sins were forgiven and my mind was set free. But how soon do we forget the Lordship? We start empowering ourselves and educating ourselves and equipping ourselves and we find ourselves back in ourselves empty and frail and weak and disappointed. Can we learn a lesson this morning, Father? Can we learn to submit again every day of our life? And just say, Lord, you're Lord. And you just do with me what you want to do with me. And I will go where you go and I will stay where you stay. But I'm embracing you for the rest of my life. And God, this morning, even when I become weary and I want to let go, please don't let go of me. So in the next 15 seconds, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to embrace God. That's it. I'm going to give you 15 seconds just to embrace God. It's just a quiet time. to hang on. Things are not good for you. Just hang on. Amen. Let's stand this morning if you would please. God is good all the time. So here's your homework this week. Somewhere, someplace. Turn off the music and turn off the radio and turn off the Bible tapes. Turn it all off for one week. 
Turn it off. Going down the road, getting ready for work, before you lay down, at the end of the day, do one simple thing this week. Remember what happened is when you submitted the day you got saved and called Jesus Lord. Do that. With an honest heart and a broken heart, just said, Lord, I need you to be Lord of my life. I've been hurt. I've been disappointed. I've been abandoned. I've been forgotten. My dreams have been destroyed right in front of my face. But you're Lord of my life. And I will follow you. And I will hang on to you with all my might. And I am your servant and I am your slave. And I'm your son as well, but I'm committed to you. And you'll find out in that attitude, in that heart, something wonderful will begin to happen and be reinstated. Father, thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to about two people and say, listen, if I got to be stuck in the bottom of a boat going nowhere, I'm glad you're here with me. Tell them that, huh? We need one another. Ushers, if you'll please come this morning. Communion servers, please. We're going to celebrate Holy Communion. Oh, God is good. Jesus, your Lord. What about the utility bills? Jesus, your Lord. What about my wayward children? Jesus, your Lord. That night he sat with his disciples and he took the bread and the cup and he lifted it up and he said, this, this ordinance you've been following for the last 1,500 years, taking the unleavened bread, The bread that had no leaven. The bread that was made in haste. Jesus said, but now that I am the bread of life that my Father sent from heaven. It has no leaven, he said. And every time from now on you take this bread, it will remind you of me. So he took the cup and he lifted it up and he said, for 1,500 years, you've been celebrating the ordinance of the Lamb's blood that was taken. A Lamb's blood was taken and placed in the shape of a cross. And that night at Passover, the Abaddon, the death angel would pass over that household. He said, now I am the Lamb that's taken away the sins of the world. And my blood will be placed in the shape of a cross for the forgiveness of your sins. As often as you take this cup, it will remind you of me. Father, bless this cup and bless this bread and help us to constantly be reminded that Jesus is Lord of our life. Amen.